Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy podcast. My name is Sean McFarland, and I'm a National Program Manager with the Department of Veterans Affairs Clinical Pharmacy Practice Office. I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Melissa Badowski, who is a Clinical Associate Professor, Section of Infectious Diseases, Pharmacotherapy, Department of Pharmacy Practice, University of Illinois Chicago College of Pharmacy. Together, we served as guest editors for the special themed issue on comprehensive medication management and telemedicine in this month's issue of JACCP. The response to this issue was remarkable. We received over 39 submissions and published 15 exceptional papers. As we noted in our editorial for this issue, telling the story of clinical pharmacy, providing comprehensive medication management in a virtual environment, virtual modalities for communication have changed the way we interact. For most, the thought or even the premise that we as clinical pharmacists would be providing most, if not all of our care using methods other than physically sitting next to or across from a patient would be a concept that at best would have been considered foreign. Secondarily, the movement of clinical pharmacy practice from being a siloed provider focusing on one disease state to an integral member of a team-based healthcare model who focuses on comprehensive medication management has changed who we are and how we practice. One of the interesting things about this GACCP-themed issue is we combine both and explore CMM and telemedicine together, focusing on the provision of CMM and telemedicine by the clinical pharmacist. One of the articles in this issue, issue entitled Clinical Pharmacy Specialists Providing Consistent Comprehensive Medication Management with Increased Efficiency Through Telemedicine During the COVID-9 Pandemic highlights the care processes and outcomes achieved by pharmacists working in primary care. We are joined today by Drs. Ashley Thomas and Kristen Lamb, who were authors of the paper. Thank you for joining us, Ashley and Kristen, on today's podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. We're glad to be here. So Ashley, I wanted to start out, uh, your work was completed in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Many listeners may be familiar with the VA and the clinical practice of the pharmacist. Just in case, can you describe your practice for the listeners? Yes, honestly, it's a great place to work. Uh, We're really blessed to work under a scope of practice with providers, and we are able to do comprehensive medication management. So that can mean order labs, order tests, um, order medications, which is really a privilege to have prescriptive authority within the VA. So we're able to really you know, do more um, on a daily basis to help our providers. And the biggest goal is to try to increase access. So we know our providers can only see so many patients um, at a time. And there are a lot of things like diabetes, hypertension, um, pain management, lots of disease states that really require more frequent touches of a patient. And we're able to do that, which is a real privilege. Um, And we're also able to try to help them meet those disease state metrics, A1Cs at goal, blood pressure at goal. So it's a great place to work. We love it. And we've, it really worked out well um, for us to be able to transition to telemedicine because we already kind of had a pretty good setup. Great. Thank you. And I'll turn to Kristen. Can you describe the purpose of your paper and how your group decided to undertake this project? Sure. So we felt like the VA in general, and particularly our VA, did a really good job of responding quickly to the COVID-19 pandemic, as Ashley was alluding to, because we already had good processes in place for the utilization of telemedicine. So we were able to really quickly, as a facility and as our clinical pharmacy department, 
you know, have a high turnaround time as far as getting everyone the tools they needed to work remotely and to be able to see veterans remotely via uh, video or telephone. So we felt like that we did a really good job of that and we felt really efficient, specifically in our clinical pharmacy practice as far as how many veterans we were seeing, the efficiency, the productivity. So we wanted to kind of look at some data and see if that backed up how we were feeling about it. We felt like it was a really successful transition, so wanted to see some data. And we, we felt that despite this major change in lifestyle and patient care modality, with all the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic, we were still able to reach as many, if not more veterans. So we just wanted to kind of look at our data to see if that was uh, true. Thank you, Kristen. And Ashley, I'll ask you a question and it'll kind of dovetail off what Kristen just said is I think, especially for Melissa and I, as we you know, evaluated the issue, even in pre-production and before articles were submitted, you know, the, the data surrounding CMM and face-to-face uh, clinical pharmacy visits is, you know, really robust. But as far as moving to telemedicine, there was a paucity and, uh, you know, looking at that data. So could you summarize the key points that you wanted to make in this paper with your research? Yes. And I agree. That's really one of the biggest reasons that when we heard there'd be this themed issue, we thought, gosh, just like Kristen said, we felt like we did such a great job as a department with this transition. Um, it really opened the door as, as terrible as COVID-19 was. It really opened the door for telemedicine. Um, and since we thought we did a good job, we thought we better publish this um, because there's not a lot out there in this. And this may be a really a place to explore further. Um, so what we did see was a 32% increase in the total number of visits, which was statistically significant, as well as a statistically significant increase in the number of unique patients that we cared for. And that was about a 12% increase over 500 more patients during a certain time period. So it wasn't like we just increased and, and started taking care of 500 more. It was 500 more than we had taken care of during that same time period while we were doing face-to-face. It was just an incredible increase. We saw an increase in disease state management. Um, We did way more tobacco cessation um, and expansion beyond what we kind of uh, call the big three in the VA, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and hypertension. We went well beyond that into tobacco cessation, pain management, coronary artery disease, uh, really saw a big increase, which we were excited about too, because it's not a great time to try to quit smoking during a pandemic, but we had a lot of success with it during this time period. Um, And we felt like that all of that was due to the efficiency of telemedicine. We also saw a huge decrease in no-show rates, likely due to the convenience of telemedicine for patients. Um, And the biggest thing we were most excited about is that we didn't see a difference in the care given. So we looked at A1Cs, um, change in A1C and change in blood pressure, just because those were still our two biggest disease states managed, even though we expanded beyond that. And there was no statistical significant difference between the difference, if that makes sense, with it. So we still saw a reduction in A1C, still saw a reduction in blood pressure, which told us that, hey, we actually did a pretty good job with this and we're a lot more efficient. So maybe we should be doing more of this. We were really excited about the results. Amazing. And I think that some of those things that you're talking about were hypothesis that we all thought, you know, were going to be true. Uh, Kristen, do you have anything to add from your perspective? 
Yeah, I think just like Ashley said, we were just thrilled that the amount of veterans that were still able to be reached and cared in addition to the declining no-show rate, we also had a decline in the number of cancellations by patients. So some of those patients that have been hard to reach face-to-face, you know, for whatever reason, working schedules, things like that, can't get to the VA in the in the business hours. We have been more success- successful in reaching those people and making an impact in their life. I think another key point that we learned from this is just the overall willingness and flexibility of our PACT or our primary care clinical pharmacy specialists to make this transition and ensure that the veterans were well taken care of during COVID. I think that was reflected in our in our data. Um, and we saw just those additional pathways that could potentially reach those difficult patients to provide comprehensive medication management and something that we will continue going forward. You know, another big thing was that our use of video to home appointments for our veterans who are traditionally an older population increased by over 200%, showing that even in an older population who may be a little more technology resistant, we still had a great success rate of getting those veterans on board with some of those video appointments. What a great story. And I think that we would all agree that if you are a grandmother or a grandfather, that they have figured out the FaceTime with their grandkids. So they definitely can can see us for an appointment. So we all know is there are challenges with virtual care. If you've been on a Zoom call or even taping a podcast, we all have some technical difficulties. But what are some of the challenges, Kristen, we'll start with you, but what were some of the challenges that you experienced with the conversion to more virtual care? And if our listeners are out there and maybe still on the fence about providing virtual care or what that may look like, what tips would you give them about overcoming those challenges? Sure. As, as anticipated with virtual care, with telehealth technology that is new to both us, the providers and the patients, there were a little bit of things we had to overcome. Uh, technology issues such as lacking certain uh, service in certain areas or the patient just not being able to understand how to enter the virtual room. Really, the way we got over this is just educating the patient on the first visit, even if we had to do it by telephone. We just explained the very simple process of how to enter the video appointment. We encouraged them to do a test call ahead of time, which we're lucky enough to have that ability within the VA to uh, have a consult for someone to do a test call or video with them. So, yeah, we we just did, I think, on the front end, just making sure the veteran understands what it is, how simple the process is, was, was a huge barrier uh, that we overcame. And the veterans, like you mentioned, just found that it was very easy, just as easy as FaceTiming with their with their families. Another tip is just, you know, we treated the patients through these video appointments just as if they were face to face. We have them, you know, get their blood pressure monitor and sit down and we watch their technique and have them check their blood pressures. We talk with them, ask them about their personal lives. You know, we just make it as engaging as we possibly could, just like we would as if they were coming into clinic so that they feel like they are still being well taken care of and and engaged with their provider. Another thing that I thought was hugely helpful in overcoming, you know, with virtual appointments you run into well, they're not there for labs or they're not there for physical exams, which a lot of what we could do, we could see over the video, the appropriate blood pressure technique, are they having any edema, things like that. But also we learned to coordinate labs with other appointments that they may have on campus and schedule the video appointments after that so that we would have the lab results back. And that would even make those video appointments even that much more efficient. Thank you, Kristen. And Ashley, I'll ask you the same question, but maybe just a little bit of spin with, you know, traditionally with you being, I guess, embedded with your team, uh, how did you overcome some of those team dynamic issues of maybe not being with your team face-to-face? 
That's a great question. And I'm very, a very face-to-face person. I'm very much an extrovert. So COVID was tough for me at first, just from a personal level. I really enjoy the interaction with teams, but I found that when we switched over, we switched over to Microsoft Teams and, you know, where there's video capabilities and meetings and actual groups you can create. I've actually been in more contact with my teams than I ever was before um, because it's so much easier to send a message, start a group chat where you can actually, we can all see each other. We can share charts. We don't have to worry about, you know, running over and meeting someone as someone running late. It's so much easier to actually communicate and share information. And so actually we found that it was more efficient that way. And uh, funny enough, you know, there are so many veterans that need care. And we're always looking to hire more primary care providers and more pharmacists. And one issue we run into is space. And this has really helped with that as well. Um, We're able to sort of all share space a little bit. And so because we were able to overcome the barrier of not being in person and finding out a better way to do it, we're able to hire more people and share space and therefore care for more veterans. So it really was a win-win across the board. And I really enjoy, I do all my team huddles now virtually um, with all of my teams, all the nurses on there and it works out great. Thank you. So Ashley, we'll stay with you. uh, And then Kristen, if you'll answer the same question, but on what you foresee, but Ashley, given what you've learned about your research during COVID in regards to virtual practice, and as we hopefully get back to the ability for patients to present to -to face-to-face appointments again, what changes do you foresee in the future? Honestly, I think it has completely changed the way we're going to do uh, medicine, pharmacy, primary care, because it's just so much more efficient. And as Kristen alluded to earlier, how we overcame the barrier of not being able to get labs by coordinating with other appointments, we found that that in itself is so much more efficient. I mean, how many times do you have a patient show up to an appointment without a glucometer, without a blood pressure log, and they got labs, but there was a line at the lab, so the labs aren't back until, you know, three hours after the visit. So you're actually still calling the patient to do what you would have done during the visit. It's just, once we really looked at it, we've, it's made us all be more aware of when we're doing face-to-face and really trying to balance seeing all of our patients with all the modalities. So maybe I see one face-to-face appointment um, and try to get them in, you know, while they're already here for another appointment. And then the rest of them I do virtual. We kind of mix it up a little bit. So I would say now, you know, all of our our grids, which is just our scheduling capabilities at the VA and how we schedule patients are completely transformed to do part-time telemedicine now. And so I may do two or three video visits, five phone calls, and six face-to-face in a day to where before we would only do eight face-to-face. So I just think it'll be completely different moving forward. And it's already so much more efficient. I actually find myself now, similar to what I mentioned earlier, you know, when I have a patient in person, while I still enjoy that, and there are definitely still some patients that prefer being seen that way, which is perfectly fine. I just find that I've very rarely have an actual reason that I have to physically see them if they have video capability at home because I can physically see them at home and they can't pull that. I don't have my glucometer because they can just go to the other room and get it, which is makes the appointment so much more efficient. So I just feel like this will continue to be a part of how we do medicine. And I'm almost, it's a silver lining to me um, from COVID-19. Again, terrible, horrible thing that's happened, but it's really opened the door to something that I think is going to really change the way we practice medicine. So what I'm hearing you say is maybe, uh, you know, identification of the patients that really need to be seen face-to-face versus those that, that don't. Uh, Kristen, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, to build on what Ashley said, I think just the importance, again, of the no-show rate declining is just huge. And 
And therefore, I do believe we will do continue to do a lot of virtual care in the future. Um, you know, patients who who wouldn't answer the phone or they were afraid to tell you what their readings had been uh, or, or they wouldn't show up to clinic. Now, you know, we call them three, four times throughout the day, let them know what what we're calling for. And, and you know, we're just able to reach them uh, throughout the day and make sure that we can get information from them and help them out. Another thing that was very cool that we learned during this pandemic is we can help with certain things like conversion of medications. Um, we had a big formulary change between our GLP-1 receptor agonist and they were different injection techniques. So if we're on the phone with a patient, we can just quickly convert it to a video appointment. And the patients love that. And we could just teach them in real time how to use the new medications or inhalers or glucagon or naloxone, anything like that. Those are things that, that patients have really enjoyed us being able to show them over video. Also, through the video, we can share our screen if there's videos we want to show them or education or hands handouts. So we have really learned as providers the extent to which we can make these patient visits really informative and things that they remember rather than us just talking to them and expecting them to remember, you know, everything we said in a 20 minute appointment. Instead, we have these visuals with them. So I think that we will um, definitely be, be continuing that going forward. And sure, there's always going to be people that want to be seen face to face. And I understand that the personal interaction. So we still have that ab ability as well. But I just think the expansion of the video and the telephone follow-ups has really taken off because of it. Thank you both for uh, the synopsis of this paper. Um, and I could not agree with you more. I see really the focus going more towards a hybrid of care for patients. So, you know, really trying to, you know, bring the patient's wishes into a lot of their care. So now that you did this amazing research project, um, what's next? How are you going to build on these findings? And so, Ashley, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think for starters, it really helped us justify continuing to do more telemedicine. And so, like I mentioned earlier, we've changed the way we schedule patients, and we're just continuing to grow on that and increase our number of encounters by being more efficient. But as far as from a research standpoint, I'd be very curious to continue to see how things do go moving forward. I mean, now that we're able to get people more, that it was, you know, one small limitation in the trial, there were definitely, or excuse me, in the study, there were definitely some patients that we probably could, would have liked to have gotten in for labs or things like that. We really couldn't because of COVID. Um, you know, it was a little different than how we're doing telemedicine now, you know, kind of post COVID, we still, people can come in a little bit more easily, um, but we can still do these modalities. So I'd love to see if we continue to see that expansion in disease state management, the efficiency, um, and continue to see that our outcomes are good over a longer period of time, as well as we'd love to see what patients think of it. We really wanted to throw in a patient satisfaction component of this, but we just wanted to quickly get this data out. It really didn't work with this particular study, but we'd love to see what patients think think because it's different, as Kristen mentioned earlier, than we expected. You know, our population is largely over the age of 65. Sean mentioned, you know, now they're able to FaceTime with their grandkids. And I think FaceTime has made a huge difference in uh, the way people approach technology and video visits. But still, we expected there to be more pushback. You know, we've had video capability before COVID, but it was just kind of the push of COVID that really got us moving forward and catalyzed this whole initiative of doing it more. So I'd love to see if patients, I mean, we anecdotally feel like they love it and there's a lot of good reasons they do. They don't have to drive in so far um, or that I would expect that they do, but I'd love to actually see that in a survey or, you know, satisfaction, see how they, they think things are going um, and how their care has been impacted. 
Great. And I'll turn it over to Kristen if she has any final thoughts of um, additional uh, research that she would like to see um, come from this project. Sure. Yeah. Like Ashley, definitely the things Ashley mentioned, patient satisfaction, long-term clinical outcomes. So we showed that the A1C and the blood pressure didn't change over the course from 2019 to 2020. So we would just want to look at further clinical outcomes long-term, maybe even uh, cardiovascular reduction and things like that, if there were any changes and more major outcomes. But one of the main things that I think we would also like to see long-term is how the implementation of the virtual care impacts our primary care providers access within the VA. So if the clinical pharmacist providing comprehensive medication management via these telehealth modalities, and we're increasing the number of encounters, we're increasing efficiency and productivity, decreasing no-shows, does this impact the primary care providers panel? And does it make them be able to care for the panel as a whole more efficiently because we're opening up space for them by opening these virtual modalities for their patients? Great. Thank you both so much. Uh, We certainly appreciate your contribution to JACCP, and we really appreciate you taking the time to share your perspectives on this amazing manuscript and on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. We really enjoy getting to share everything and hope that other people will really start to expand the use of telemedicine and hopefully from this see that um, it doesn't change care and it's so much more efficient. And from a work-life balance standpoint too, I mean, it's really been great for our CPS. I think they found that because of the increased efficiency, it benefits patients as well as own personal care. So I hope people continue to do more of it.